Hey friends, M. Faring here. I am so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope we're able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hi, friend. Welcome back to our study in the book of Job. Before we begin today, please note that this show comes with a trigger warning as I share of my experiences with miscarriage and depression. If you find yourself struggling with depression, please take care of yourself and don't hesitate to reach out to a mental health provider for help if you need to. If you are ready to take the next step in finding a Christian counselor, please refer to today's show notes for a link to the American Association of Christian Counselors website. This is a good place to find the right fit for you and your circumstances. Okay, so as I mentioned, today I'm going to take a different approach in our study of the book of Job. Chapters 22 through 24 are just continuations of the attacks from Job's friends, this time Eliphaz and then Job's response to him. We are now in round three of the great debate between Job and his friends, and what should have been a comforting and encouraging discussion among friends has turned to an angry, painful debate. The more the debate rages, the angrier and more prideful his friends get. In this final round, Eliphaz is blunt as he accuses Job of great wickedness and sin, like self-righteousness, abuse of power, and taking advantage of the most vulnerable people in society. Eliphaz claims Job's suffering is a direct result of sin, and since Job's suffering is so great, his sin must be great. The conclusion? It's no surprise God is punishing Job. Oof. Then, as we will see in our reading, when Job breaks his silence, he talks about God, and he talks to God. What a response. Personally, I'm challenged by Job's response and desperately want to model it in my own life. His self-control, trust, integrity, and perseverance in seeking God in the midst of all the things going on in his life amaze me. Oh, to have the wisdom and skill to wait and then humbly turn a hurtful conversation with another person back to focus on the Lord. Convicting for sure. Unfortunately, however, since there is really nothing new here in what they are saying in their banter back and forth with one another, I've decided to transition a little bit today to share about a time in my life when I felt like I could understand in some sort of small measure what Job is experiencing here. Very small measure for sure in comparison, but nonetheless, as we discussed in the last episode, pain is pain. In the meantime, though, I do encourage you to open your study Bibles and read chapters 22 through 24 for yourself to understand the full scope of my very brief summary here. Also, be sure to go to the show notes where I will include some study questions for you to consider in your time digging into these chapters on your own. This will probably not be the last time I say it today, but please, please, please go to today's show notes because they are chock full of resources. Probably the most show notes I've included in any of the OOBT episodes to date. Don't miss out, friends. Enough about all that. And moving on, do you remember this line from the last episode? You, long-suffering one, are a Job of your time. Please listen in as I take us on a journey today to further develop this idea in our own lives as well. Hang with me a bit, my friends. I promise to bring this all together by the end of our time today. Or that is my intention anyway. (laughs) So to begin, let's listen in as I read from chapter 7 titled, When God Gives You More Than You Can Handle, plus a portion of chapter 8 
Letting Go of What's Holding Me Back, from Lisa Turker's It's Not Supposed to Be This Way book. Every syllable of the last chapter is true. I've felt pumped up and ready to keep going, embrace these hardships, be one of the rare souls who truly does persevere. And then life. All the stuff. And then more stuff. The ink hadn't even dried from the last chapter when the need for another mammogram turned into the need for a biopsy. Everyone, including my doctor, assured me there was little reason for concern. I had no family history of breast cancer. My mom had gone through a callback and biopsy journey herself, but everything had turned out fine in the end. I am youngish and healthy. Plus, I'd already had the unexpected medical crisis with my colon last year. Surely that situation plus everything else I'd been going through was enough. Everything was in my favor. Except I knew when Art and I heard my doctor's serious tone, everything wasn't okay. Lisa, you have cancer. They will tell you more when you go for your appointment today, but I wanted to go ahead and let you know I read the pathology report. I'm so sorry. I just finished the previous chapter and I absolutely believed with all my heart that there's a promise and a process and the presence of God in the midst of my life. But in that moment, he felt distant and mysterious. I felt stunned and then I felt okay. And then I felt stunned again. My feelings couldn't seem to land. I wanted to be peaceful, but then I didn't want to be peaceful. I wanted to hold it together, but then falling apart seemed quite reasonable. I kept thinking about that statement everyone loves to throw around in times like these. God won't give you more than you can handle, but that's not actually in the Bible. God does say he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear and that he always provides a way out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But that's not the same as God not giving us more than we can handle. He sometimes will allow more and more and more. I knew this. And as I type these words, I know I'm not the only one who feels that they've been given more than they can handle. I see the wide-eyed expressions of people all the time. Grief upon grief. Hurt upon hurt. Heartbreak upon heartbreak. Addiction upon addiction. Diagnosis upon diagnosis. Disappointment upon disappointment. The world is filled with people who are dealt more than they can handle. And surprisingly, the Bible is also filled with people who were given more than they could handle. The Apostle Paul wrote, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. God doesn't expect us to handle this. He wants us to hand this over to him. He doesn't want us to rally more of our own strength. He wants us to rely solely on his strength. If we keep walking around thinking that God won't give us more than we can handle, we set ourselves up to be suspicious of God. We know we are facing things that are too much for us. We are bombarded with burdens. We are weighed down with wondering. And we are all trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Before we can move forward in a healthy way, we must first acknowledge the truth about our insufficiency. Cancer is more than I can handle on my own. I needed God to show me his perspective so I could set my perspective. But it didn't come right away, and that frustrated me. I was filled with fear and questions like, why this? Why now? Why me? I could feel my emotions starting to unravel and my resolve to trust God slipping. It was too much. I didn't want to keep trying so hard to trust God. I was tired of trying to make sense of this life that isn't supposed to be this way. 
The story I started telling myself was that life would never get any better. My mind became fixated on all that pointed to this season of suffering being my new normal. I woke up with panicked feelings. I walked around with panicked feelings. I went to bed with panicked feelings. I knew my thinking had to change. I couldn't escape my realities. I had to face them. I had to walk through them. But maybe if I changed my thinking, I could trust God in the midst of them. Thinking about everything I didn't know wasn't getting me anywhere, so I started listing things I did know. And the main thing I know, I know God is good. I didn't know the details of God's good plan, but I could make His goodness a starting place to renew my perspective. So now let me tell the story of all these events using God's goodness as a central theme. Had things not blown up between Art and me last summer, I would have never hit the pause button on life to go get a mammogram. I would have waited. But because I had a mammogram at that exact time, the doctors caught a cancer that needed to be caught. And because they caught a cancer that needed to be caught, I had every fighting chance to beat this cancer. You see, we're all living out a story, but then there's a story we tell ourselves. We just need to make sure that what we're telling ourselves is the right story. And the right story is, yes, God will give us more than we can handle. But he's always got an eventual good in mind. We see more and more unnecessary heartbreak. But God sees the exact pieces and parts that must be added right now to protect us, provide for us, and prepare us with more and more of His strength working through us. We don't have to like it, but maybe knowing this can help us live through it. I've learned about the very necessary pieces and parts one day when a couple of girls introduced themselves while standing in line at some takeout food restaurant near my house. Pauline and Jessica had both read my book Uninvited. We chatted for a minute about what God had been teaching them, And then the topic of what I'd be writing next came up. I told them about this book and the revelation God had given me about dust. Jessica's eyes lit up. Her mom is a professional potter. As I shared how, when we place our dust into God's hands and he mixes it with his living water, the clay that's formed can then be made into anything. She smiled so big. She'd seen clay being formed into many beautiful things when placed in her mother's hands. And then she shared something with me that made my jaw drop. She told me that wise potters not only know how to form beautiful things from clay, but they also know how important it is to add some of the dust from previously broken pieces of pottery to the new clay. This type of dust is called grog. To get this grog, the broken pieces must be shattered to dust just right. If the dust is shattered too finely, then it won't add any structure to the new clay. And if it's not shattered enough, The grog will be too coarse and make the potter's hands bleed. But when shattered just right, the grog dust added to the new clay will enable the potter to form the clay into a larger and stronger vessel than ever before. And it can go through fires much hotter as well. Plus, when glazed, these pieces end up having a much more beautiful artistic look to them than they would have had otherwise. Jessica smiled and said, come on, that will preach, right? Oh, it absolutely did. I kept thinking about what Jessica shared and how it might relate to my season of suffering. What if the clay made from all the other dust currently in my life could be strengthened by this newly added broken piece? And then I read Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? God is making something beautiful out of my life. I know that. So why question what he sees as the necessary ingredients to make my life stronger? 
and more beautiful than ever. Sure, my diagnosis added some more brokenness, but even this could be used for my good. I kept reading that verse from Isaiah and decided to do a little investigation into the term potsherd. A potsherd is a broken piece of pottery. Interestingly enough, a potsherd was also mentioned in the story of Job when he was afflicted with that awful disease. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job chapter 2 verses 7 through 10. A broken potsherd can lie on the ground and be nothing more than a constant reminder of brokenness. It can also be used to continue to scrape us and hurt us even more when kept in our hands. Or, when placed in the master's hands, the master potter can be entrusted to take that potsherd, shatter it just right, and then use it in the remolding of me to make me stronger and even more beautiful. When I understood this, I saw that in all my circumstances, God was keeping me moldable while adding even more strength and beauty in the process. I don't want to have cancer. There's no part of my human brain that thinks cancer is fair for any precious person who receives this diagnosis. God didn't cause this potsherd reality in my life. It's a result of living in this broken world between two gardens. Since I do have cancer, however, I don't want this broken reality to just be a potsherd wasted on the ground or something I keep in my hands that hurts me more. I must take even this and entrust it to the Lord. Take this, Lord, and shatter it just right so I can be made stronger, more beautiful, and able to withstand fires as never before. I believe that you see things I cannot see, and you have eventual good in mind. This perspective didn't take away my cancer, but it did take away the feeling that I had to figure this out on my own. It took the weight of it all out of my hands and helped me release it to God. When we hit the place in our lives where we finally realize some things are truly more than we can handle, we will throw our hands up in surrender, and that surrender can happen in one of two ways. We might surrender to the enemy, giving into those feelings that it isn't fair, God isn't there, and God isn't good. Or we can surrender to God. This kind of surrender isn't giving in, it's giving up. Giving up, carrying the weight of all that's too much for us to our God, who not only can carry it, but use it for good. When we know the truth about the amazing things God can do with the dust and the potsherds of life, we won't surrender to the negative lies of the enemy. Instead, we will lift our hands to the potter. So now that we know we need to surrender the weight of these broken pieces in our lives to God, how exactly do we do that? God is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. But to partner with him in his work of transformation in our lives, we must seek him with all our hearts. It's our choice whether we stay stuck in our hurt or get renewed in our hearts. There are some frequently quoted verses that teach us this, but before I quote the verses, I want to give us some context. In the book of Jeremiah, we find that the children of Israel were going to be carried into captivity by Babylon for 70 years. Think about how long 70 years is. If we had to go to prison today for 70 years, for most of us, that would probably mean we'd die in captivity. 70 years feels impossibly long, incredibly unfair, and horribly hard. It would seem like a lifetime hardship without a lifeline of hope. Talk about long-suffering. Talk about feeling as if no good thing could ever come from this. Talk about needing God's perspective like never before. 
But here's what God told the people of Israel. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come for you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. This is the scene and the setting where we then get to these glorious promises that I love to cling to. Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. When we seek God, we see God. We don't see his physical form, but we see him at work and can start to see more of what he sees. Trust grows. If our hearts are willing to trust him, he will entrust to us more and more of his perspective. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 teaches us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we want to see him in our circumstances and see his perspective, we must seek him, his ways, and his word. That's where we find the his good plans and promises for hope in a future. If we find ourselves in an incredibly disappointing place, a place we don't want to be, a very long season of suffering that just goes on and on, or one we know will not be changed on this side of eternity, it's easy to start feeling that some of God's good plans don't apply to us. It's easy to slip into the mentality that we somehow fell through the cracks of God's good plans. Things are too final. The ink is too dry. The page has been turned. Their heart is too hard. Your heart is too hurt. The doctors have said impossible. The account is too bankrupt. The biological clock has run out. One hard thing just gives way to another hard thing, and then more hard things. And there's just been one too many days full of unanswered prayers. But the truth is, God is closer than we often realize. He sees things we don't see, and He knows things we don't know. He has a perspective from where He sits that allows Him to see all things, the past, the present, and the future, from the day we are conceived to the day we return to dust, and even beyond that into eternity. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, and then 9 through 11 say, Listen to me. You whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. From the east I summon a bird of prey, from a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. This was true for the Israelites, and it's true for us. For them, the news that they would be in captivity for 70 years was absolute reality. But the truth that God had a good plan and a purpose not to harm them, but to give them a future and a hope, that promise was very much in process all the while they were in captivity. This is how we, too, can surrender the weight of our long-suffering journey to God. By having a higher perspective in our present realities, that seemingly impossible work of redemption is always possible with God. In other words, we need to remember the difference between news and truth. News comes at us to tell us what we're dealing with. Truth comes from God and helps us to process all we are dealing with. News and truth aren't always one and the same. My sweet friend Shanti Feldhan reminded me of this a few years ago. An email she sent me about a difficulty I was walking through said, Lisa, 
This is news. This is not truth. When the doctor gave me was news, honest news based on test results and medical facts. But what I have access to is truth that transcends news. The restoration that is impossible with man's limitations is always possible for a limitless God. Truth is what factors God into the equation. I find myself looking at the word impossible a little differently today. Impossible, when looked at in light of Shanti's note, could be completely different if I just stuck a little apostrophe between the first two letters. Then it becomes, I'm possible. God is the great I am. Therefore, he is my possibility for hope and healing. I'm possible is a much more comforting way to look at anything that feels quite impossible. Anything that feels like it's too much for me to handle. Instead of saying God won't give me more than I can handle, maybe I can just simply say God's got a handle on all I'm facing. I suspect many of us have things in our lives that feel impossible. Maybe you just got some bad news. News of an impossible financial situation. News of an impossible job situation. News of an impossible kid situation. News of an impossible friend situation. News of an impossible medical situation. Whatever you just got or will get, I pray Shanti's advice helps you too. That is news, and this is God's truth. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the light. Psalm 146, 6, I am forever faithful. Isaiah 41, 10, I am with you. Psalm 73, 23, I am holding you. Psalm 32, 7, I am your hiding place. One of the greatest comforts to me through all of this has been knowing that somehow God will use it for good and that God will be my possible in the midst of what can sometimes feel so impossible. Of course, I still have those less spiritually secure moments when the broken pieces seem to be piling too high and I feel like I'm going to lose my mind and cry and pitch a little hissy fit. But how thankful I am for the great I am, the one who will absolutely guide me in truth and teach me, the one I put my hope in all day long. Psalm 25, 5. Yes, he can handle all the things I know I can't, and I can trust him to take my broken and make it beautiful. Okay, friends, now moving on to this brief excerpt from chapter 8 titled Letting Go of What's Holding Me Back. Let's pick back up here. Please hear me. Sometimes hardships happen not because of what you've done, but because of something God is doing and will eventually make right. We see this in both the Old and New Testaments. We saw this in the life of Job that we've already discussed. His friends were determined to identify what Job did to cause his hardship, but God made it clear that Job's friends were misguided in their accusations. Jesus also made this same point in one of his interactions. Do you remember what I shared earlier about Jesus spitting into the dust, making mud from his saliva, and healing the blind man's eyes? That account is told in John chapter 9. But there's more I want to show you from that teaching. There's more to the story that will really help us. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This man's blindness, his own form of hardship and long suffering, wasn't because of choices he made 
or ones his parents made. This suffering was placed on him, but it was for a reason. He was handpicked to display the works of God. Through his story, Jesus would shine the light of truth and hope for others' lives to not be so dark. And then Jesus brought healing out of the man's brokenness. Just imagine, out of all the world, this man was chosen to proclaim truth and display the works of God. Yes, the man suffered blindness for a long time. But in hindsight, we can all see the blessings in disguise that underlay his brokenness. He was the one who got touched personally by Jesus and experienced firsthand dust being turned into healing mud. He got to hear Jesus proclaim one of the seven I am statements as recorded in the book of John. Right before his healing, he heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He was offered a personal salvation invitation by Jesus himself. Can you imagine how cool that will be for him when we all chat in heaven about how we came to know the Lord? He will get to be one of the few who says his salvation invitation came from a personal conversation with Jesus. His story is recorded in the Bible, and we are still talking about him today. While his story and his blessings are unique to him, rest assured that when you are chosen for suffering, you are chosen for the blessing of displaying the works of God as well. What if the worst parts of your life are actually gateways to the very best parts you'd never want to do without? Okay, I very much realize that some of you want to throw this book across the room right now. Because being chosen for suffering feels like God is causing bad things to happen to you. It's a lot of pain with no upfront reward. But remember, God isn't causing this. He's allowing it. God isn't picking on us. He's handpicked us to be a display of his good works here on earth. And trust me, in eternity, you will want to be chosen for this. If only we could see the full picture that God sees. If only we could see all the good God will surely do through us and for us. If we could catch even a glimpse of God's perspective, I don't think we would want to throw the book, hang our heads, shake our fists, stomp our feet, or continue logging all of those past hurts. I think we would simply say, okay, God chose me for this, and I can trust him to lead me to it, through it, and past it. What feels horrible this day will be so very honorable that day. Hang on to God's perspective. Give Jesus the weight of what you're carrying. Stay unburdened and moldable, and you'll be a light to many others. So whether our hardships and disappointments are because of things we've done, like David, or things placed on us, like the blind man, God's perspective is that it will all be for good. He will allow us to suffer sometimes, but he won't allow that suffering to be wasted. And he will use that suffering to shape us, mold us, and make us even better prepared for our purpose if we throw off what hinders us stay free of the entanglements of sin, and persevere by keeping our eyes on Jesus. When we are afflicted, we are being made more effective. That is how we can glory in our sufferings. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Isn't it a beautiful thing that keeping our eyes on the Lord makes our burden light, and then He takes our burden and uses it as light? In the end, not only will our suffering produce perseverance, endurance for our race, but it will bring forth hope, glorious, glorious hope for all. So if you've been with us for our reading of the book of Job together up to now, then you know I have used quite a few excerpts from the It's Not Supposed to Be This Way book. But trust me, friends, when I say that in my honest opinion, 
This book is so helpful and even needed as we study through the book of Job to help us provide a framework for how to see our own struggles and heartbreaks in life, how to keep our faith in the midst of immense suffering and trust that God has a bigger plan and purpose for all of it. There is so much happening in the book of Job that I believe we can truly relate to in some way or another from our own life experiences or the experiences of those we love. With that said, I'm now going to shift gears after our reading of this excerpt from Turkhurst's book to dive right in to give you a little bit of insight into my own life and how some of these truths have played out in a season of dark depression that I went through following the loss of our second faring baby during pregnancy. F7 actually has two meanings in our family's life, the number of family members we have now with the Faring Five plus Jason and I, but also the Faring Five plus the two sweet babies in heaven we miscarried during pregnancy. Actually, that seems like the place to begin, so I'm just going to jump right into my story. The first of our two babies in heaven happened in 2007 when I miscarried at six weeks prenatal. Such an intense heartache to process, especially given our previous struggle with three plus years of infertility prior to Emmy's birth. From that point on, each pregnancy felt like a blessing and gift from God, as we learned during that season of infertility, that we do not control the timing of our babies. God does. Then fast forward to 2009, when I found out I was pregnant with our Addie Bear, and her due date was actually the same date that I miscarried the baby we had lost two years earlier. What a gift our Addison Lane was and is. They all are, for sure. Then, in November of 2011, When I was 11 weeks along, I began miscarrying near the end of my in-laws' 40th wedding anniversary celebration at their church in our hometown. I remember insisting we leave a little bit earlier than originally expected because I desperately wanted to be back home in Attica. I remember being so traumatized by the ride home and eventual loss. Emmy and CT were both old enough to know something was wrong and knew about the pregnancy, so we had to tell them our sweet baby died and mourn with their little hearts as they tried to process the loss as well. Addie was two years old with a stay-at-home mom who was struggling to cope. I was spiritually, physically, and emotionally broken. I spiraled into a deep, dark depression. I was angry at God and struggled to function, to pray, to even get out of bed some days. I specifically remember my sweet husband Jason's tenderness and patience with me during this season of loss and grief in his own life, too. He often said no words but just held me. But in truth, what would he have said anyway? He simply loved me when I was the most unlovable. Can I just say here, oh, how Job's friends, well, all of us really, could take lessons from Jason's tenderness to me as we seek ways to comfort those in our lives who are in seasons of deep sorrow and struggle. Anyway, I was so lost at that time. It was so, so dark. I often had thoughts that no pastor's wife or any person at all should have. And yet, I did. I can't express to you the darkness that I felt in my life at this moment, a shell of a person struggling to find the way out of the deep, dark pit I seemed to be stuck in. My counselor at the time encouraged me to just be, quote-unquote, with God, not to force it or fake it and to remember that God had never left me or pulled away. In that same season, this same counselor, who also happened to be a very close friend of mine, texted me a link to a worship song called Not For A Moment, After All, by Meredith Andrews in Vertical Worship. This song is one of two that became anthems on repeat on my phone and lyrics recalled in my mind in the middle of the night when the thoughts were often the hardest to overcome. Listen to this excerpt of the lyrics. You were reaching through the storm, walking on the water, even when I could not see. In the middle of it all, when I thought you were a thousand miles away, 
Not for a moment did you forsake me. You were singing in the dark, whispering your promise, even when I could not hear. I was held in your arms, carried for a thousand miles to show. Not for a moment did you forsake me. After all, you are constant. After all, you are only good. After all, you are sovereign. Not for a moment will you forsake me. In every step, every breath, you are there. Every tear, every cry, every prayer. In my hurt, at my worst, when my world falls down, not for a moment will you forsake me. Even in the dark, even when it's hard, you will never leave me, after all. And the second of the two song lyrics I'm repeating in my head during this time is from David Crowder's song, Never Let Go. In joy and pain, in sun and rain, all the same, you never let go. I can literally think of so very many nights that these phrases, joy and pain, sun and rain, all the same, you never let go, were on repeat in my mind as I battled in the dark. And yes, I included both links for you in the show notes if you would like to take a listen or two or three for yourself. So, so very good to have these words on repeat to counter the many lies I struggled with. I actually still find myself recalling them in times of hurt or struggle to this very day. Thank you, Jesus, for your tenderness to encourage others to lead me to the words I needed as a salve to my soul, some of my fighting words, so to speak. Also early on in this season, in a session, my counselor said she envisioned me as a red bull with a crack in it. Everything leaked out, broken down to dust that would eventually be rebuilt into a beautiful red base, a new purpose, a new season of ministry. And then, many, many days later, as I was not serving in any capacity at our church and truthfully, barely even able to force myself to attend church in the first place, God met me once again in those seats through a message titled, Loving Like Christ Loves, given by Sam Roberts in Life Church's Love and Hate series. Well, maybe I should stop here for a minute and elaborate a bit more as this portion of my story, because it once again shows God's tenderness and presence in the darkest of days for me. So rewinding the story back a bit, one of my friends counseling me in this season spoke of seeing me and my life as a beautiful red bull, overflowing and serving others in so many ways through ministry. Then that bowl developed a small crack and slowly, oh so gradually, everything inside it began to leak out until eventually the bowl was left empty and my life truly felt empty too. Nothing left to give or pour out to others. Truthfully, I believe the second miscarriage was a breaking point that had been building in my life. I hit a wall, so to speak, and was left shattered for sure. In that regard, she then went on to say she also envisioned this bowl being completely shattered and smashed until only pieces remained, dust really and then notice that empty, completely broken to pieces of a bowl being remade, this time into a beautiful red base, with life lessons and new passions for the next season of ministry and life. Truthfully, it all felt a bit random, this analogy did. But then days later, still very heartbroken, still trying to navigate my daily life in such a dark, deep depression, much less think of my spiritual life, I arrived at church one Sunday morning to find my counseling friend nearly running towards me with tears streaming down her face, as she said to me that this message was written for me, that God was speaking to me. My confusion must have been more than a little bit noticeable as she went on to say, trust me, please go listen. I sat down nervously, hesitantly, to listen to that particular Sunday's message delivered by Sam Roberts of Life Church. Oh my heart, I kid you not, friends, as the message began, there was a beautiful red bull sitting on the table next to Sam as he began to preach. Okay, I think we're ready to hear that excerpt now. We are God's workmanship, 
We are God's masterpiece. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's a beautiful truth, not something we have to be worthy of. God says, hey, while you were sinners, I sent Jesus and you are my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to tell you a story. About a month or so, I was on vacation in Estes Park, Colorado. Absolutely beautiful city right there at the foothills of the Rocky Mountain National Park. And we were walking down Main Street and there's shops on either side. And I thought to myself, what better place to take four small children than into a glass shop? Right, that's a perfect place to do this. So before we go in, of course, what do I do, parents? I call the huddle, right? All right, listen, I want your hands in your pockets and don't touch anything. That's right. So the kids go in and they're like this, you know, walking, looking around. Well, this guy in the back was doing a glass blowing demonstration. And I thought, how cool is that? I've never seen anybody create anything out of glass before. That sounds fun. So I go back there and I start watching and we're watching the guy do his thing. And sure enough, there he is blowing the vase that day. So he's been putting it into the kiln and getting it really hot and he has blown it and starting to form it and he was twirling it. And as he did it, it started to shape out into a vase. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. There comes a vase out of this liquid glass. This is cool. And we're watching and all of a sudden you hear what no one wants to hear in a glass shop. You hear glass breaking, right? What did I do? First thing I do is get a head count on my four. I'm like, where are they? Okay, they're all good. Somebody else is going to be paying for that broken thing and that's great. All right. And so then I realized that it's the vase he's creating and I thought, oh my, how embarrassing. He's got all these people around and they're all watching and this thing shatters. Well, as part of his process, he has it on this long pole and he would sit this vase on this desk and he would roll it and it would hang off the edge and he would put his eye right down on it and he would just watch it as he rolled looking for any impurities in the way that it was formed. And he was rolling it back and forth and he says, well, looks like we've got about a four inch crack in this vase. And he picks it up and he's looking at it and he's spinning it and he says, you know, I thought I was making a vase today, but apparently this might become something a little bit different. He said, I think I see something a little different in this piece. And he takes it and he puts it back into the kiln and he begins to fire it and he gets it molten hot again and he pulls it out and sits it on the desk and he takes these huge forge scissors and he just begins to cut down into the heart of this vase. And I'm like, what is he doing? He's going to really ruin it now. And he's just cutting this big portion of it and this huge piece just falls off and crashes on the floor. I'm thinking to myself, he's out of control. What's he doing? Then he puts the scissors back and he takes a vase and he puts it back into the kiln and he heats it back up and he pulls it back out and he begins to roll the rod in his hand and he swings this thing at the same time and he's going back and forth and all of a sudden the molten edges of that bowl start to kind of go back and forth wobbly and then he takes it and he pulls it up and he sits it on the table and I'm telling you what out of that broken vase comes this beautiful looking bowl and I'm like are you kidding me? And the bowl you see on that table next to me is the one that he pulled out of the kiln that he made from that broken vase. Unbelievable. Amazing, right? Unbelievable was how he told us that this thing broke because of going from a hot fire to cooling and it cooled too quickly and it caused it to fracture. Well, isn't that true with us, right? A lot of times we're broken, but you take and stick it in the hands of a creator and all of a sudden something beautiful starts to happen. All of a sudden God starts saying, look, I know you're broken. I know that was a tough season. It was really hot and it was really hard. And I know you got really cold. And in that stress of all that time, you broke and you feel like your intended purpose is no more. But you know what? 
you're my masterpiece. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I've prepared in advance for you to do. In fact, you know what? I don't think like you think. I don't love like you love. Isaiah 55 says, you know what? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And he says, I see something different. You see something broken. I see something beautiful. I see something I can utilize. I can create and transform and create a new purpose, a new meaning, a new creation in Christ Jesus. What is it that God loves? Well, let me tell you, God loves to take broken, hurting people and make beautiful things. Did you hear that last line, my friends? God loves to make beautiful things. As this message closed, the band Gunger's song called Beautiful Things began playing as my tears continued to flow from my eyes. Here's a sampling of those lyrics. All this pain. I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. All this earth. Could all that is lost ever be found? Could a garden come out of this ground at all? You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. All around, hope is springing up from this old ground. Out of chaos, life is being found in you. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of the dust. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things out of us. You make me new. You are making me new. Wow. Once again, so many things my weary, shattered heart needed to hear needed to be reminded of. Simply amazing, right? I am still touched to this day when I think about this season and this gentleness of God to speak directly to my shattered heart. Now, I do realize in this message from Life Church that a vase came before the red bowl, but the similarities in the words my friend had previously spoken to me in the midst of this fire in my life were unmistakable. Such tenderness of a loving God to not only never let go of us, but to draw near and speak to our hearts and minds in such a personal way. I definitely felt seen by God that day, still usable, could be remade even for the next season of ministry. In the days, weeks, and months to follow, God literally broke my heart in new ways for the things that break His. In this instance, the realization that if it could be so dark with Jesus in my life, how dark and hopeless it must seem for those without Him. I developed an intense desire to follow and be obedient to the God who never let go of me, not for a moment. I also began to realize that if God allowed me to go through these heartbreaks and struggles, then he will most definitely use them in some way, because God doesn't waste our tears. God began to turn our sights to Attica for a sister church plant from our involvement in his first church plant years before. To bring hope to those without hope. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And yet another tenderness of God. Following this season of loss, we eventually added two more fairings to our home to bring us to an official handful, our fairing five. This too came after a season where I actually let go of my dream and truthfully heart's desire of having more little fairings in our home after that traumatic loss in our second miscarriage. I went through the heart-wrenching process of going through all the tubs of baby items in our attic and then getting rid of everything except the crib. So you can imagine our surprise when a few years later, we had yet another son and then another daughter. Our last little fairing was born a few months after my 41st birthday. I would have never in my life imagined having a baby at that age. (laughs) Such gifts from a loving father in heaven, for sure. I can't help but still look back on all of this and be reminded of those words that God spoke into my heart in the darkness of night, in the darkness of my soul. Joy and pain, sun and rain, all the same. 
you never let go. Thank you, Father. Now, do you remember back in that excerpt I read to you from Turkhurst's book in which she talked about adjusting her perspective by retelling the story of all the recent events in her life using God's goodness as a central theme? Today's episode contains my attempt at trying to retell the story of my disappointment in a Job moment of my life by using God's goodness as a central theme, as she mentioned. Can you do the same, my friends? Please make time at some point after you finish listening to this episode to think about this. Where is God's goodness threaded through? Find ways to intentionally look for evidences of God's goodness even in the midst of circumstances that aren't seemingly good at all. You may not yet know the good results God is going to bring into your situation, but shift to seeing all things through the lens of being confident in His goodness. Hard but so good for us to do as we make space to actually process through these struggles of life. I will place a reminder of this valuable activity in the show notes as well. Honestly, though, I hope this jumble of thoughts and words is understandable, but I must confess that even as I type this story once again, I am brought back to tears as I easily remember those feelings of desperation, heartbreak, loss, a complete shattering, really. Of course, this is a very condensed version of the reality of both of those seasons of heartbreak, but how does one truly express all the complexities, long-suffering, and agony experienced in those seasons of life? My hope is that there is enough here to piece together in your mind the depths of those days, months, and years. Just as the book of Job is attempting to do for us as we consider the season of long-suffering Job went through. As you remember from last episode, we discussed how there is uncertainty as to how long Job's suffering lasted in this book. But whether it was weeks, months, or years, it feels like too much. In Job's life, in our own lives. I know if we were sitting together today, you too would have stories of Job moments in your own life. Maybe even one you're living today. Oh, friend. However, I feel it is crucial to bring us to these types of thought processes in our study of the book of Job, because sometimes I think that these words in our Bibles become just stories on a page. But the reality is these are real people living real lives in real time with real emotions and the amount of heartache, the intensity, the loss, the pain that Job experienced is truly quite unfathomable. So, so much more than I have ever experienced in my own life. And yet, as we said, pain is pain. We must allow each other the space to walk through these seasons of grief without judgment about whether or not we feel another person's loss is equal to their depth of heartbreak and grief. My hope is that within these last few episodes, as we have not only looked at the chapters and verses and words, but have also tried to develop some sort of framework that will help us to maybe deal in a little bit different way in our own heartbreaks with a bigger understanding and trust of God as found in it all. We will continue to see more of this development in the book itself as we are not too far away from the chapters in which God himself shows up to speak with Job. So amazing. So, so good. And oh, my friends, as I wrap up this retelling of just one of those Job moments in my own life, I can feel the heaviness of heart so many of you are carrying right now. The uncertainties, the heartbreak, the confusion, the anxiety, the long-suffering none of us would ever sign up for. Can I just be honest enough with all of you to say that even though I'm on the other side of this miscarriage-related Job moment, I still have to preach the truths I learned about God in those dark moments of life back to myself as I deal with hardships and struggles today and tomorrow and will in the days to come even. And I also need to make it clear that I, like so many of you, have many, many situations in my life that still have no clarity, no closure just deep woundings to continue to process through. Some things, scratch that, often many things in our lives 
are not supposed to be this way from our perspective. We may or may not ever have an ending to or any evidence of good in those situations and heartaches this side of heaven. So hard, yet so true. Let's join together in a personal prayer of mine as we near the end of our time together today. My guess is this is the same prayer of many of your hearts as well. Father God, I come to you today, worn out from trying to do everything in my own strength. I am ready to accept your invitation to surrender. This is what I want, to run with perseverance the race you have set before me. To keep moving forward even when the enemy's lies are so loud and my flesh is demanding that I give up and turn back. Open my eyes to see anything and everything that is holding me back. Please help me grab firmly onto the truth that you are for me and not against me. You are not a God who picks on me. You are a God who has handpicked me. Today I say I give up. I give up carrying the weight of all that's too much for me. Take this, Lord. Take all of this hard and all of this hurt and shatter it just right so I can be made stronger, more beautiful, and able to withstand fires like never before. I trust your love for me. I trust your plans for me. And I trust that you will use all this for good. I want to live a life that brings you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we end today, I want to bring this article titled A Piece of Our Puzzle from Proverbs 31's online Bible study of It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. This one brings a bit more clarity to my conversation with all of you in the last episode about how our lives are represented by one puzzle piece that only God has a box cover or whole view of to know how it all fits together. This related content should bring some more clarity to what I was trying to say last time, in addition to tying together some pieces of our conversation from today. It reads, Do you ever find yourself wondering how your situation can be made beautiful or turning into something good? When I came across these words in chapter 7, God is making something beautiful out of my life, it led me to wonder that. But the more I study God's word, I come to realize that we don't have his perspective. We live each day seeing only what's in front of us, not knowing fully what's coming next, while God, on the other hand, sees our story in its entirety. He sees our life as something complete and whole, knowing exactly how each part will fit together to make something beautiful. And that's where faith comes into play. We're called to have faith in what we can't see and trust His plans are for our good, as found in Hebrews 11.1 and Jeremiah 29.11. We can trust He'll use every aspect of our life both the good and the hard, to make something wonderful and in the end, bring Him glory. While I know this to be true, and I'm sure you do too, it's easier said than done, amen? Which is why I have to continually look to truth to remind myself of this. And another thing that helps me to remember is to have a visual. I'm a visual learner, and maybe you are too, so I'll share one of mine with you. I like to envision my life as a puzzle only God has the box to. He sees the image on the front and knows the end result. He knows and has access to the right, exact pieces needed for completion. However, we're only given one piece at a time, in His timing. And because of that, sometimes it's difficult to imagine how certain pieces will fit together. Other times we're handed a piece we don't particularly like, causing disappointment because it wasn't what we were expecting and we're not quite sure how it can be made beautiful. But again, God sees the entire puzzle. He takes all the pieces, hard, good, and sometimes odd, and puts them together to make something incredible that we couldn't begin to imagine on our own. So if you're holding a puzzle piece or a certain situation in your hand right now, asking yourself how it can be turned into something good and made beautiful, remember, eventually all the pieces of your puzzle will fit together perfectly, and you'll be able to see, whether on this side of eternity or in heaven, that He is making something beautiful 
out of your life. There it is again, friends. God is making beautiful things out of our lives, out of us. Amazing. Just amazing. Okay, friends, I'm pretty sure by now that you've heard me mention over and over and maybe over again already (laughs) that today's notes are jam-packed. Some of the many extras include questions to consider in your study time in Job chapters 22 through 24, links to the songs and the message from Life Church that I shared that God used to speak to my heart in my own Job season of life, Proverb 31's Therapy and Theology podcast links to two fairly recent episodes, Moving Through the Impact of Trauma and Mile Markers of Healing. My prayer is that these will be helpful to all of us no matter what stage of the healing process we are in but most especially valuable to those considering counseling. So much wisdom in these episodes alone. Plus, there are also episodes from previous years in the Therapy and Theology series. What a blessing. I highly encourage all of us to listen in. Plus, the show notes also contain more detailed directions on how to do some purposeful journaling to consider and process our own hard, life-altering seasons of life, past and present even. Oh, how I hope and pray that sharing a glimpse of my story as a Job of our time, quote unquote, is causing you to look back and consider some of the struggles, heartbreaks, grief, really those shattering moments in your own life with a new framework and lens. Maybe even the season you're in right now could be considered through this purposeful journaling process. Please know that I have said many, many prayers already for God to meet you as you journal on those pages, as you consider his tenderness and goodness to you in these dark seasons. I promise that will be my continued prayer for all of you as well, my friends. It is so hard to dig into those places, but there is so much healing that can be found when we do with the God who sees us, the God who is near, the God who will never leave us, the God who will never forsake us, not for a moment. So can I just say that I wish I could hear every story and see how God is at work in your heart in every part of this study process, especially today. Whether you are behind or caught up with the OOBT episodes, I bet you have seen God's perfect timing in his delays. Times when the message aligns with what you needed to hear on that exact day you found a moment to listen in. I absolutely love that about him. Just another reminder that he sees us. Evidence that God is meeting with us all the time to show us more of himself. With that thought in mind, you are all simply the best about sharing this podcast. Thank you so much for helping others to find us, to then study along with us. Here's a recommendation when inviting your friends to join in. Have them start at the beginning. I mean in the book of Genesis episodes. As opposed to just jumping in where we are right now, because that's the whole point of doing this chronologically. So we can follow the whole storyline of the Bible to not only see the character of God plus Jesus as found throughout it all, but also the big picture story happening across these 66 books grouped together under one cover. The plot is important. And while you're directing them back to Genesis, be sure to encourage them to go ahead and listen to the two prep episodes, one and two, covering why I ventured into hosting a Bible study podcast in the first place, plus how I study the Bible. Super helpful, I promise. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friend.